Well, good morning. My name is Adam. I'm the teaching pastor here, and uh, we're continuing in our series called One Word Prayers. Uh, last week, Mike talked about uh, thanks, and I'm thankful for him stepping in and filling in for me because I was home last week uh, not feeling well, would be putting it delicately. Um, but today we're talking about the word help. And these one-word prayers, no matter your theology, sometimes just sneak into our life because it's all we can utter sometimes. And today, the one-word prayer help is sometimes all we can offer. But I want to not just think about it in terms of asking for help and asking to receive something, but also asking it in a way of how we can live on mission, how we can be sent out to help the world. And we're going to look at a story today of a man who needed help. And the the truth of the situation of my life is I can think back in my life and think about tons of times when I would have been lost, dead, dumbfounded, whatever, if not for help that came along in my life. One of the times when I was with Adam Geringer, the Connections Pastor here, we went to Canada. We were coming back from Canada. Our car literally went off the side of a cliff. It got hung on a little tree, and we were just going to be stuck there forever, if not for some incredibly kind Canadian man who said, got your car on a cliff there, eh? And we said, yeah. <laughs> and he, he was able to get us home. We all need help sometimes. But also, we're sent into the world to look with kingdom eyes for ways to help others, to restore, to redeem, to bring hope into hopeless situations. And so there's both asking for help and asking God for help and asking others around you for help. And then there's asking God, how can I help? Where can I be of service? Where can I live on mission? How can I be sent into the world to restore and repair and bring hope? And so the story that we're looking at today is um, found in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 33. I wish that I could read uh, the whole thing, but as we walk through the story, we're going to see the process from problem to restoration to living on mission. Now, this prayer, help. Is, it's an important recognition that we're called to be part of a bigger story. That no matter what our circumstances are, that we can be fully restored and healed. Before we jump in at Matthew chapter 9, a little bit of context. Um, when we encounter Jesus here at the beginning of chapter 9, he's leaving what you would consider a tense encounter with the religious leaders at the time, one that got so tense, in fact, that they started to throw stones at him because they were so angry that they wanted to put him to death. And they had to get out of there, and they're leaving, and they're around the temple area um, after just encountering that. And it, up to this point in this ministry, uh, Jesus and the disciples had taken, the disciples had seen Jesus do this, and he had already given new purpose to ceremonial wash basins, He'd healed an officer's son. He'd healed a paralytic. He'd fed 5,000 people with some loaves and fish, and he walked on water. Jesus' ministry was taking shape, and the religious leaders at the time were taking notice, and it was causing conflict. And here we are, John chapter 9. They're leaving the temple area, and the disciples who've seen Jesus do all these incredible things, who'd seen Jesus see those who were on the outside and heal them and bring them back in. They're walking past a blind man 
and they have some questions for him. And that's what we'll pick up today. But I want to encourage you, as we get started and as we get into this story, one of the, um, one of the ways to go through the Gospels is to put yourself in the shoes of the character and try to remove the hindsight that you have, the knowledge that Jesus actually was the Son of God who did conquer the grave and, and offers new life. Get rid of that and try to see how would you have interacted in this scenario and what's being taught here. It kind of gives a bitter, bigger context, a bigger sense of what's happening in the story. If you insert yourself as a character in the story, any of them except for Jesus, because that's a different issue for a different session of counseling. Uh, but today, specifically at the beginning, imagine yourself as the blind man. You're a man blind, born blind, seated outside the temple area, a place where rabbis come, teachers come, and their disciples come, and there's all this chattering and all this religious talk all the time about what's happening in the time, and you're sitting there, and all you can do is hear. And so that's where we'll start today. With all that being said, we jump off with this reality. We all need help. Whether our car is dangling by a tiny tree off the side of a Canadian cliff, or we're a blind man at an ancient temple who's born blind, who's about to encounter Jesus, and anywhere in between or on that scale, we all need help. So will you pray with me before we get into the text for the day? God, we are blown away by who you are and the fact that you see us and you invite us to cut through the lie that we would tell ourselves that we can't matter in your kingdom because of X, Y, or Z. You still say to us, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me and I'll give you purpose and life and hope but be obedient and follow me. God, help us today to wrap ourselves around your word and your truth. And I pray that anything other than that would fall away, that we would just hold on to what you say is true. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I am, I'm fortunate to have sight, but I need corrective lenses. Um, I remember the first time that I got glasses, it was like, I had experienced a real-life miracle, and I was insufferable for weeks on end after I did that. My sister was sitting next to me when we were driving back from the eye doctor when I first got my glasses, and I had no concern over looking nerdy because my whole life I just accepted how nerdy I was, and so I was like, I just fit the part better now. And so I had these glasses that were supposed to be indestructible. They were not. I learned from experience. Um, my mom loved that. But... I remember putting them on, and the whole ride home, I kept asking my sister, can you see that leaf? The one leaf, like, all, all I could see before were trees, and the green fuzz that was around them. And then once I got glasses, it's made up of a bunch of leaves, and you can see that from a distance. And I was like, look, the fifth letter in that road sign is S. I can see that letter. Ha! deal with it, nerd, you know. It's like, it was unbelievable, this, this miracle that had happened. And I was just going from blurry vision to clear vision. And we grow up in a time where if you're blind, you're still included in society. There are mechanisms to let you still be part of what is going on in the world. In that time, if you were born blind, 
you were outcast. And lots of speculation would happen because you couldn't just put on corrective lenses. There was no way to heal it. And there was no societal structure to bring you back in. And so it was just, well, I wonder why he ended up like that. And so we jump into the story here in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. And it says this, As he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Neither this man or his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it's day because night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in this world, I'm the light of the world. That might seem like a pretty calloused reaction of the disciples, because they're walking with the one who healed a paralytic, who walked on water, who did all this unbelievable thing. And though they have sight, they still couldn't see the world the way that Jesus wanted them to see the world. And so they look at this man in this situation and they take it as a teaching opportunity. Because in that time, there were some thoughts going around in the Jewish school of thought that were you know, reasons for these questions that the Jews had because they wanted to learn from their rabbi. They're not just being cold but they're trying to understand their Father in heaven. And so they, they, they would ask this because some Jews believed in the preexistence of souls, and so the possibility that that soul could have sinned before birth. And so it would be punishment for a sin created or had that happened before birth. Some Jews believed um, that there was some kind of reincarnation and that perhaps this man uh, sinned in a previous life, and so he's being punished for the sin in a previous life, and that's why he was born blind as a penance for that. Some Jews believed uh, that a baby might sin in the womb. Uh, some thought it might be punishment for a sin that the man would later commit. And some might just be so bewildered by the fact that somebody could be born blind that they're just wildly speculating. How could this happen? Because... When something happens that seems outside of what we imagine, we just start to speculate why. Why, God, is this happening? And so all of these things are happening, and they're asking Jesus, could you please help us understand what's happening here? The disciples, they just didn't get it. But Jesus brings this clarity. That's not punishment for his sin that the man was born blind, and that God didn't do this to him as punishment, but his brokenness, but this brokenness that we're all born into, and any brokenness that you might currently be sitting in, is an opportunity for God to be glorified. God didn't make the man blind so that he could restore his sight and get praise, but because the man was born blind, in a, in a broken world, in a world where bad things happen, where things don't happen exactly as we would hope they would all the time. Because of that, God's grace and his mercy can be on full display. Whether it's through trust or restoration or faith, that God's grace, that God would be glorified in this situation. And that's what Jesus is trying to help them understand, that this is an opportunity. Brokenness, a need for help is an opportunity for God to be glorified, for you to have a story, a testimony that points to the fact that God can do unbelievable things, that he can work through the impossible. This is a chance, if we let it, for God to be glorified. 
Charles Spurgeon says this, It's ours not to speculate, but to perform acts of mercy and love. According to the tenor of the gospel, let us then be less inquisitive and more practical, less for cracking doctrinal nuts and more for bringing forth the bread of life to the starving multitudes. And so when we see the person begging for cash at the intersection, and we wonder what they did in their life to end them up that way, we're behaving just like the disciples then, who are wondering, instead of looking for ways where we can insert restoration and help in that situation. We all have blinders that are thrown up, whether by our calendars, fears, doubts, scam artists that have taken advantage of us in the past, or whatever it might be that makes us have these perceptions in those moments. But don't write off the disciples as being stupid or silly right from the start, because we've all been there. I know I've been there time and time again. Charles, Charles Spurgeon also says this, whenever you see a man in sorrow and trouble, the way to look at it is this, not to blame him and inquire how he came to be there, but to say, here's an opening for God's almighty love. Here's an occasion for the display of grace and goodness of the Lord. But remember, we're putting ourselves in the story. And so here we are, a blind man standing somewhere near the temple, and every day you would hear these stories. And you'd hear these probably same questions that would come up. Why was this man born blind? And a rabbi might speculate why the man was born blind. And you'd get to hear all that. Well, it was the sin in his preexistent life that led him to be in this spot. And thankfully, we're not in that same situation. Or they'd add this other judgment, this other judgment. And you would hear that because all you could do is sit in here and hope for a handout. Whoa. <clears throat> but this time... But this time, the question's asked, and the answer's different. This time, when the disciples start to speculate, Jesus says, neither this man or his parents sinned. And can you imagine sitting, not being able to see who this was, or the group of friends that are around him, and hearing, maybe for the first time in your life, no, it wasn't this man or his parents that sinned. That would pique your interest because it's a counter-narrative than you've been told before. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. Perhaps for the first time in his life, the story's written that this is an opportunity for restoration. That him being outcast isn't just a way for us to look at ways that we can avoid becoming outcast, but that him being outcast in society is a chance for God to bring him back into what is functioning and, and this chance for restoration and, whole, and completeness. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it's day because night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And so as long as we're in the world, as Jesus' people, we're supposed to be the light of the world, looking for opportunities to put God's grace and goodness on display. 
whether we're broken and in need of help or whether we're just going out to find ways to help, we need to look for ways to let our weakness be seen so that God can work through it and His praise can be in display or we can be the vessel through which God's grace and goodness comes into the world. It is not ours to speculate how someone might end up in the situation that they're in. It's ours to look and wonder, can I help here? Really help. Not just contribute to the problem even further, but really help here. Can I do that? And to what extent can I do that? Am I willing to swallow my pride and admit my weakness so that God's strength can be on full display because I'm not able to lift my car off this cliff? Whatever your car and your cliff might be in your life. Because you don't know what your job future is. You don't know about the diagnosis that you just got and where it's going to go. You don't know about the relationship status that you're currently in and how long it's going to last like that. And you're holding on for dear life. You don't know how you can get out of the situation. But it's a chance, an opportunity for God's restoration to be on full display. And you inviting others in to help you is a chance for God's grace and truth to be on display even more. We need to ask for help and be willing to help and take part in this story. There's something else as we sort of come to a close here. We need to take our next steps towards healing. Because there's this interesting encounter that follows. Jesus doesn't just say, okay, it wasn't this man or his parents. He was born so that God would be glorified. All right, you're healed. You can see now. Good job, go in peace, my good man. Way to do it, you know? He does something different. Matthew 9, verses 6 and 7 say, After he said these things, he spits on the ground and made some mud in the saliva, and he spread the mud on his eyes. Go, he told them, and wash of the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he left, washed, and came back seeing. Now that seems strange, right? That is an odd encounter. If somebody spit in mud, made a paste, and put it on my eyes, even if he said, you won't need contacts anymore, I'd be like, no thank you. And we read this story, like I said, with hindsight, knowing that Jesus is who he says he is, and we have all these other chapters that tell of the miracles that he did, but to the blind man, he just has mud being put on his eyes. This wouldn't have seemed wildly out of line in that time because making a paste from dirt, it reached back to the story of creation that man was fashioned out of dirt and that dirt could become a sort of medicinal paste that would bring healing. And so Jesus is drawing in on that, but he's showing that he can do even more than the healing pastes of that time, but he's making his own paste. And so it wouldn't have been like if it would happen now. So there was some grounding and practicality there that Jesus did. He drew on medicinal practices at the time to, to make this miracle happen, but he puts that paste on his eyes. And then he sends the blind man across town to this healing pool where there were lots of people hoping to be healed because these waters, which means scent, were a place where people would go to be healed. 
And so this blind man needed help again to go, but it says that he went, he trusted, he believed, he took those steps. He didn't just stay and say, I'm good, thanks for the paste, I'll stay here, I can't really work it out to where I can get to the pool. But he takes those steps, those difficult steps, a blind man working through town, asking for directions, getting his way there, getting there, and finally putting these waters on his eyes and being restored and getting the help that he needs. And he goes and he fearlessly tells everybody, including the religious leaders, the same religious leaders that wanted to stone and kill Jesus, that he doesn't know anything about anything with theology, but the one thing that he knows is he encountered this Jesus blind, and he left that encounter with Jesus seeing. And his statement is such that, religious leaders, you can do whatever you want to me, but I will not lie about what Jesus did for me. In fact, I will tell the truth about the restoration that he came to bring in my life. And you think that he stopped with those religious leaders? He went out. He was sent to the pool of Siloam. Siloam means sent, and he was sent into the world to tell a story of a God who helps. To tell the story of a God who doesn't cast judgment and condemnation, but invites back in and will restore you. If you walk in obedience, the plan that he has for you, the life that he has for you, if you take those steps, even when you're still blind and you can't see your next step from your next step, but you just keep walking because you trust that Jesus is who he says he, who he, says he is and you want to walk close behind him. The miracle, the healing, the restoration that you're hoping for, the help that you're hoping for, might not happen on the terms that you've outlined. But it will follow in some way when you walk in obedience of the one who created and fashioned everything. It might not be the outcome you want. It might not be the plan you want. But restoration is possible in following Jesus because he is who he says he is. I'll never forget one time when I found myself, one of the many times, I should say, that I found myself in over my head in a project that I bit off more than I could chew, I either told my dad that I would clean the pond for him, or he was sick. I don't remember how I ended up being the one who was solely responsible for cleaning the pond, but I found myself cleaning the pond in our backyard after a whole lack of prep and lack of winterization and bad times in the fall. If you've ever had a pond in Ohio and you let it go through winter without doing any cleaning, you know that spring comes and there's a price to pay. And that price smells really bad and that price is really heavy with dead leaves and, in my situation, fish that didn't make it through the winter. And so it was a disgusting situation. And I was to clean out the whole pond and I was like, I got this because I was, you know, well, who I still am, and I think that I can do most anything, and so I, I went after cleaning the pond. I got myself a bucket and a shovel, and I was like, this should take 45 minutes or so. It did not take 45 minutes, I'll tell you that much right now. It took me so long that my friend Matt Mongan came over later that evening when I had started in the morning just to hang out because he would come over to my house from time to time, and he went to the basement, which is where I had kind of an apartment, you know, at the time. And then he came out in the backyard and he was like, you know, what are you doing there, Adam? And I was like, uh, 
I gotta clean this pond out. And he was like, you ever done that before? And I was like, no. And the pump stopped working because so I couldn't pump out any more water and I couldn't figure out why the pump wasn't working, which should have been obvious to me. And in retrospect, it's very obvious it got clogged. But he was like, you gotta turn that off and you gotta get that pump out of there and we gotta get the rest out with shovels. And I was like, okay. And he didn't hesitate because he knew what to do and he was my friend and I was in trouble. He rolled up his jeans and he jumped into the mess with me. And together, we pulled that pump out of what felt like concrete and we shoveled the rest of that mess and we got the job done. Not because I was able or I was strong or I had the endurance to finish, but because somebody who could help showed up and did help. And we find ourselves in these situations all the time where we hope, we hope that we can just push through in our own endurance when really what we need is somebody who can help to show up and help. And the story of the cross tells us that every day, that when we were standing in our mess, Jesus entered our story. And he helped us out of our mess. And he helped us clean up our mess. And he helped get us out of that pit. And so every week we take bread, which represents that body given for us. We take the bread and we remember that the, the price of our freedom was his life his body given for us. Take it and remember. And we take the juice and remember that part of him stepping into our mess was his blood poured out for us. And we remember. God, why we were still sinners. You showed up for us. While we were still in our mess, you showed up for us. And you offered us a way out. And God, even if the outcome isn't what we'd want, even if the restoration isn't how we'd outlined or planned, God, help us follow faithfully in line with your eternal story that brings us to newness and wholeness, not in this life, but in eternity. And so no matter the circumstances that might surround our, our restoration, our healing, 
Help us to hold on to who you are. And that long arcing story of eternity that has us included as your sons and your daughters as we call on your name for salvation and hope. That you came to die for us, but you didn't stay dead. You put death to death and offer us new life, a new narrative to be a part of, one of less condemnation and more invitation. So help us, once we've been restored, to go back into the world looking for ways that we can help. God, we love you, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.